you are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Contacted by Nick the other day, asked if I would be willing to preach, which I, I am. And then he said, oh, but it's going to be uh, Labor Day weekend. And so there won't be a lot of people there. And so uh, I'm glad that you're here. And, uh, I figured he figured that I would do less damage that way. <laughs> we live in a world that is filled with pain, don't we? Uh, as already testified, uh, depression. Um, this last week on Thursday, <clears throat> the, the uh, Air Force... Uh, did a stand-down day, which means they stop all the, their normal training. And this is the first time ever they did a stand-down day that, where they focused upon uh, suicide. Suicide is at an alarming rate this year in the Air Force. Uh, we are looking at, uh, we've already had about 80 suicides this year alone in the Air Force worldwide. And they said that they're on track for having about 150 to 160 by the end of the year. Uh, People are in pain, and they're struggling greatly. Uh, We had at at the center, uh, where Carol and I work, we had one of our own members commit suicide a couple months ago, as you may remember. Suicide is becoming... uh, widespread in our society. We're up, since the it, since this decade began, we're up over 31% in the number of suicides, most of those being young males uh, who are committing suicide. But we live in a, a, a time where pain is real. Uh, we work with people over on base, and I'm always telling them that when you meet somebody new, you can expect that they are going through some significant pain, um, some greater than others, and not everybody is suffering from depression, but everybody has something going on in their life that's in the background that is causing pain. As I was working on this sermon yesterday <clears throat> and uh, finishing it up, I happened to go online, and all of a sudden I realized in the town that uh, Carol and I, I was pastoring in uh, Midland, Odessa area for nine years, and uh, there was a mass shooting that took place. Um, I don't know who did it. I don't. They, uh, as far as I know, they haven't announced it yet. But it was interesting because uh, we, you know, we knew we know a lot of people in Midland. And all of a sudden you realize, here's another man who was in deep pain, and then he has caused and inflicted a great deal of pain. Five people were killed, 21 injured, I believe it was, and um, of course he lost his life as well. The reality is is that not too long ago there was another shooting in El Paso, Texas, and uh, a man went into a Walmart and just started shooting, and I think there were 20 in- injuries in that one. Uh, a week prior to that, there was a man in California who went into a garlic festival and started shooting, and they said he was just very angry, and that's what he did. Uh, right after the El Paso uh, shooting, there was one in Ohio, in Dayton, 
where a man shot and killed, I think it was nine people, outside of a bar, including his sister. Uh, People are in great pain and have a great deal of difficulty. And in our society, we are so busy trying to work at all of this and trying to figure out what's going on. And we're trying to, we have red flag laws and we're trying to stop the, the destruction of other people's lives. And then on top of that, you have all of the arguing that's going on politically and you have all the arguing that's going on racially and you have all the arguing that is happening around the world and you have wars and you have fights. You have places like Burma and Myanmar where the life is just on the edge all of the time or the Sudan or uh, China where it's still really illegal to meet in worship. Back in 1968, we had similar situations. There were riots, there were murders, there was all kind of social unrest, and there was a singing group that uh, was known as Simon and Garfunkel. They were two uh, two male singers who sang together, and they had kind of a smooth, uh, melodic sound. They tended to be socially aware, and they sang a song that was kind of interesting. They took... Um, the song Silent Night, and as they sang it, they increased the sound of the 7 o'clock news coming over and over, and finally the 7 o'clock news drowned it out, their singing. And the message was clear, we, we are losing our understanding of the gospel because of the world that is around us. We're, we're failing to see peace on earth because of the lack of peace that is all around us in people's lives and in their hearts and in their countries and in their society. Certainly this wasn't the first time such a thought was put to music. Uh, when our country was being torn apart by its seams in uh, the Civil War, It was a man named Longfellow who wrote a poem. And uh, the poem came out of his heart because he had gone through tremendous suffering. It had started actually a couple years prior to that with the tragic death of his wife in a fiery accident that took her life. And then that year, uh, in 1863, that year his son had signed up to join the army without his knowledge and later that same year was wounded critically uh, in battle. And so as Christmas came on, he wrote a song that we have now rewritten, and we, or he wrote a poem that we've written and put into a Christmas carol. And that Christmas carol is, is called I Heard the Bells. I'm going to read a little bit to you. Because even though... It was written so long ago, it really fits today in a lot of the pain that is found in our hearts. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. I thought how the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And in despair, I bowed my head, There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. 
in a day and age that we are facing right now, I think we can also agree with him. There is no peace on earth. And so as we look at today's passage, I wanted to bring out to us uh, the real true meaning of what's being talked to us about in Luke chapter 2. I know that this is not December. I know that we're going into a passage that we tend to think of as being a Christmas time message. But I think it's important for us to realize that we need to see it differently and sometimes taking it out of the context of the Christmas season, we can look at it more closely and we can understand what's really being said in the message of the angels to the shepherds. Because this was a very momentous time in history. It was a very momentous message that was given to the shepherds. And the shepherds, as you look at them, and as we will see, it's juxt- the, the message that was given is juxtaposed against the, the marginalness of their lives. The shepherds were people who, you need to understand that the shepherds were people who who couldn't even give testimony in court because they were known to be such liars. They were people who were always outside of the society. They were marginal. They were right on the edge of society. And yet they were the ones who participated in these may, uh, these wonderful events that we're going to look at today. So we're going to look at the good news, find out what it really is, find out what the message is being talked about, and then we're going to see a little bit about the shepherds and understand them a little bit more deeply. So let us look at Luke chapter 2. We're going to pick it up in verse 8, and I'm reading from what's called the Net Bible, the New English Translation. Now there were shepherds nearby living in the field, keeping guard over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord had appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord had shone around them, and they were absolutely terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, listen carefully, for I proclaim to you good news that brings great joy to all people. Today in the city of David is, uh, excuse me, uh, today your Savior is born in the city of David. He is Christ the Lord. Often we look at the Christmas story, and when we look at it, we think in terms of uh, you know Hallmark movie moments, that kind of thing. And we often focus upon what I believe is really the benediction. We focus on the the fact of peace on earth, and then we look around and we say, "Yeah, there is no peace." So were the angels wrong, or are we looking at the wrong part of the message? And I think it's more the latter. Because the, the announcement that was given was good news. It was something that was pronounced to them. And the term that's used there for good news is evangel. Uh, you've all heard of Billy Graham. Billy Graham was a, an evangelist. Uh, if you study theology, you will study soteria, uh, you'll study, um, about salvation, soteriology, and you will find out that the gospel message, when it is given, is good news, and it means, uh, it's from evangel. Evangel was at first a term that was used to mean just any good news, and certainly a new baby being born is good news. We, t- when we have children, when Carol and I had children, the first thing we did was call up our parents and say, hey, the baby has been born. It was good news. 
But the, in the Gospels, evangel began to take on more meaning and it began to emphasize the fact that the good news of salvation has been presented. We get the term gospel from the old English term, which is God and spell, or God's story. And it's his story of how he's bringing about salvation. It is good news. It's good news that we share with other people. uh, Working with the military, one of the things that happens is that we have to be careful how we present our own story, how we present the gospel. Now, we're able to present it, but finally, one chaplain told me, Stay away from there. Uh, one, one chaplain finally told me, look, you can, you can evangelize, you just can't proselytize. The idea of proselytizing is that you have to become a Christian. Uh, you're going, you must become a Christian or you will lose rank or you will be pushed out of the military, that kind of thing. But you can evangelize and evangelism is just simply sharing your story. Sharing the story of God. Sharing the story of what God has done in his son. And so today we're going to look at what is that story? What's the content of that story? And we're going to move through it fairly quickly. So kind of hang on. But one of the things you find out is that the story that is given always comes with great joy. One of the things that happens in Luke is that Luke took that passage where we, that we just read and he divided it out. And many of the themes that are mentioned in the uh, statement by the angels were were then used as themes that run through uh, run through the Gospel of Luke. For instance, when it comes to great joy, as you look at the scriptures and you look at through um, through Luke, you begin to realize the joy that is talked about is always joy that is attached in some way to salvation. After the after the resurrection, the the disciples suddenly realize, hey, this is all true. This isn't just some story that's made up. This is all true. Jesus rose from the dead, and they they met that message with great joy. At the ascension, they they gathered together, and they watched Jesus ascend into heaven, and there was great joy. Even in uh, Luke chapter 15, it talks about the fact that when a sinner comes to repentance, there is great joy in heaven. Joy is a theme that runs through for uh, the book of Luke, and it is uh, a reality of our gospel message, that it should be given, and it should be shared, and it is with great joy that it is received. And so when we realize that we're talking about the gospel, and then we hear peace on earth, and we look around and there's no peace, Perhaps we're looking at the wrong message. Perhaps we're looking at the wrong theme. The gospel is truly good news of great joy. But notice that in the passage, the announcement was not peace on earth. And that's what I want to look at for the rest of our time. It's not peace on earth. Rather, the announcement is that a gift has been given. A gift has been given. Now, we're going to look at what the gift is. One of the things that comes up is that, uh, you'll see, sorry, um, the first term that's mentioned about the gift is Savior. Now, many of you are in college and you probably have taken some courses in English grammar. 
Uh, and you know already what an anarthrous noun is. It's a noun that doesn't have an article. So there's no a, there's no the, it's just the term, savior. Now in English, that's really grammatically incorrect. And it's hard to translate. But in Greek, it makes good sense and it's fine that there is no article attached to savior. In the translation I read, it said, your savior is born. In most translations, it says the savior. Sometimes it's a savior has been born. And we've added it in to make it flow in terms of our English hearing. But in Greek, it's not there. Why is it not there? It's not there because he's emphasizing the character, the essence of who this is, the essence of the gift that has been given. He is savior. If he had said a savior, it would have been one of many saviors. And so it could have been picked up as the savior who's going to, to move um, Israel out of or from underneath the tyranny of Rome. That's what, um, that's what Judas was looking for. In fact, most of the disciples were looking for a savior who was going to come and remove um, the tyranny of, of Rome. But Judas, it, it so bothered him, and he was so distraught by the fact that Jesus wasn't that kind of a Messiah that uh, he betrayed him. So here we have the fact that he is Savior. He is not a Savior, one of many, because then we could look at the prophets, we could look at Moses, we could look at Muhammad, we could look at all kinds of different Saviors. But that wasn't what the, the, the angels were announcing. That wasn't the gift that was given. The gift that was given was Savior. And his essence, he was, is the Savior it also tells us that, hey, we need a Savior, doesn't it? I mean, the very fact that it's good news and you're giving that good news, you're giving that gift to someone, it indicates that they need that. We do need a Savior. If you've ever doubted that, all you have to do is look at the world around us and the things that are going on. And no matter how much we try, it keeps getting worse and it keeps getting more depressing and it keeps getting harsher and more violent. He's a savior. And so he is provided. But he is not just any savior. He is the Lord Christ. And so let's go on. We'll look at these other two terms. There's two more titles that are given to him. You have not only the fact that he is savior, but he is Christ. Christ is the, the, uh, the Greek term for the Jewish term, Messiah. And it really goes back to hey, this term. He is a fulfillment of all the prophecies of the Old Testament. So he is Savior, but he is also the one who is going to fulfill all the prophecies of the Old Testament, which includes the fact that someday he will be king. And then he talks about the, the term, or we are given the term not only Christ, but Lord. And Lord is a good translation because it's like the English Lord, the one who is in control, the one who calls the shots. He's the one that we look to. He is our Lord. One of the things that you see when you talk to people, if they know anything about Jesus at all, and many people that we talk to beyond base will tell you, hey, I don't know anything about Jesus. I just know the term. 
Well, if they know anything at all, they realize that he is a a leader that we can follow. And some people will look to him for spiritual help, kind of like looking to Oprah Winfrey for spiritual guidance. Uh, it, he's just he's just there along with so many others, and I'll pick a little bit of Jesus, and I'll pick a little bit of Oprah, and I'll pick a little bit of Phil. I don't know whoever. Um, so we'll, we just kind of, kind of pick and choose, and and you get this hodgepodge, and oh, it works for me. And as long as it works for me, that's fine because we don't really think down the road. We don't see things in light of eternity. We don't realize how lost we really are. We don't realize how much we need a king who will come and set up a kingdom that will be righteous and just. One of the things that we have to recognize, though, is that when we are given this gift of Savior Christ Lord, when we realize how much we need that Savior Christ Lord, all of a sudden in life, everything else pales in comparison. That's why when when we emphasize, hey, there's no peace on earth, and we get mad at God because there's no peace on earth, and Man, you know, the angels must have been wrong when they announced this because there's no peace on earth. When we get mad at that, we've missed the fact that, hey, that wasn't the message. That was the benediction. So we want to realize and understand what it is that God has given to us, and that that is a gift, a gift of Savior, a gift of Christ, a gift of Lord. In 2 Corinthians 5, 18-21, and really this is going to mimic Chris's sermon from last week, it says this, And all these things were from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, in Christ, God has reconciled the world to himself, not counting people's trespasses against them. And he has given us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ as through God, as though God were making his plea through us. We, we plead with you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made the one who knew, did not know sin to be sin for us, that we, that we in him would be, would become the righteousness of God. I stumbled over it because I, I know it in a different translation, but What he's saying is that because the gift that has been given in Jesus Christ, we have been reconciled. Christ took upon himself our sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he took upon himself the punishment for our sins. And all of our sin has been given to him. And he took upon himself and he died in our place. But he didn't leave us at zero He didn't say, okay, yeah, your sin is forgiven. He instead gave to us his righteousness. Verse 21. He gave to us. Just think of it. I mean, it's everything that Chris talked about last week. But think of it. God gave to us his righteousness. 
And because we stand in that righteousness now, we have access to him and we have the ability to, to be with him and we are reconciled with him. Now, sometimes I have couples come in and they're, they're in tension with each other and, and we try to help them reconcile their issues. And we try to talk through, okay, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why is it causing this division? Why are you being one of the guys that I have talked to recently? He tended to become very quiet whenever there was any tension. He didn't know how to handle issues in the home because he came from a home that was very dysfunctional. So he became very quiet. Well, she tended to be one of these who just had to keep talking it out. We want to talk this out. We want to talk this out. So he became increasingly more quiet and basically physically, if not emotionally, ran off to another part of the house. And she was chasing him. You know, no, we need to talk about it. We need to talk about it. He didn't want to because the pain was too great. They needed to become reconciled. God has reconciled himself with us because of the death of Christ. When Christ died on the cross, he took upon himself our sin and he gave to us his righteousness. And now we are reconciled with and By the way, that's where the peace comes in. It doesn't come in because the world is at peace. It doesn't come in because there is a lack of fighting. It doesn't come in because we feel good. It comes in because God has reconciled himself, our, ourself to him. And so everything else doesn't matter anymore. It pales in comparison to the wonderful gift that has been given. So that brings us up to uh, the rest of our story, and that has to do with the shepherds. I already mentioned to you, the shepherds were very marginalized people. Now, King David was a shepherd. Remember, King David was a shepherd, and we have the 23rd Psalm, and, and we love shepherds. But in the day of Jesus' birth, shepherds were always marginalized. They were always dealing with uh, sheep, sheep that had died, sheep that were being born, uh, they were feeding the sheep. They were going after them uh, in the middle of the night trying to find them because they had wandered off, all of that. And what that did is it caused them to become uh, ceremonially unclean. So they couldn't go into the temple and worship. And so as, as time went on, they became more and more separated from the worship in Jerusalem. And so they ended up becoming more and more separated socially. They were of a class that were secondary. And, and it got to the point because what a father would often pass his sheep on to his son, for generations it would end up that they, wouldn't, they weren't at worship. And so they were separated further and further as time went on. In the society, they had lost their reputation. And so much so that they could not, as I mentioned, they could not give testimony in court because they lied so much. It was kind of like a fisherman. And so they couldn't uh, even give testimony in court, which makes you wonder, what was God thinking? Why would he give this message, this wonderful message of salvation, the gift that has been given why would he give it to shepherds? They couldn't even tell anybody about it and have it believed. 
Wouldn't it have been better if, if, if God had written it across the heavens? Wouldn't it have been better that he had, had maybe the priests of Jerusalem come and to hear the message? But instead, he gives it to the shepherds. What did he give? He gave the, the statement that there had been born to them Savior Christ Lord. Then they gave him, gave them a sign. What was the sign? Now, when you're traveling and you're driving down the road and you see uh, Rapid City exit 60, was it 65 or whatever, or 57, I don't know the exit number. But Rapid City, well, here, uh, Ellsworth Air Force Base, exit 63. Now, you can get off at exit 63, but you're not at Ellsworth Air Force Base. The sign points you to the reality. Doesn't it? The sign points you to your destination, but it, the sign is not the, the point. Um, and so what was the sign? Well, the sign was given that there would be a baby wrapped in claws, swaddling clothes, and lying in a manger. Now, even in this day and age, it was not normal to take a baby, a newborn baby, and lay, lay him in a feed trough. And I know there's debates on whether it was a feed trough or was it the the barn that they were in or whatever. But for now, let's just assume it was the actual feed trough. So the shepherds come into town after hearing the message and they look around Bethlehem and they know the baby's to be born in Bethlehem and they, they know that it's a newborn baby and they go walking around and they know that they don't have to look in the, in the real wealthy homes because the baby was going to baby was going to be born and laid in a manger, and so they go and they find this baby and they see the sign and all of a sudden they realize it's all true. They realize it's all true that the angels and all that they had said were telling them the truth. There was confirmation because of the sign. There was a response equally, and what was that response? The shepherds worshipped and went back with great joy. And they they were excited about what it is that they had been told. And they began to tell everybody that they could the story of what happened that night. Nothing had changed in their life. And yet everything had changed. They still went back to the same stinky sheep. They still went back to the cold weather. They still went back to the mud. They still went back to not being believed. They still went back to being the on the outskirts of society. They still went back to being marginal people. And yet everything had changed. And I, the scripture doesn't say, but I kind of think none of that mattered anymore to them. Because they had seen the Christ they had seen the gift that was given. And sometimes we, we forget the fact that there was another 30 years in there before Jesus really came on the scene. And how much were they wrestling with that? You know, what, what happened, God? Did we misunderstand? I mean, think about it. 30 years ago, most of you weren't even born yet, but 30 years ago, you, it'd be hard to remember all the details that had taken place. And yet, he was saying... You know, we're, we're still wrestling with this. And then, and then if they live those 30 years, then they begin to hear stories of how hated Jesus was 
and how Jesus was taken and put on a cross and he was killed. What would that have done to their understanding of this message? We don't know, and all of that would be speculation. But we do realize that they were real people living in real situations, but they found real peace in the Savior. We suddenly realize in in verses uh, 13 and 14 that praise was expressed, the joy was given. Suddenly a vast heavenly army appeared uh, with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among people with whom he is pleased. We were going to break that all down, but I, I don't want to go too much longer. But I do want to point out to you that what we have taken as being the message is really the benediction. It's at the close of the time, and the angels are just saying, hey, you know, peace to those who are right with God, who are reconciled. That's where peace is found. We continue to look endlessly for peace on earth. And we're struggling emotionally, the fact that there are so many suicides. We're struggling physically, the fact that there's so many shootings. We're struggling socially, the fact that there's so much arguing among in politics. We're struggling in our relationships, the fact that so many marriages are falling apart. We're struggling also in our families in terms of the children. I, one of the things I've been amazed as I've come back and started working with the, the military again, and, and I realize how very many of those who come, who are part of our work on base, have no real family. There's no father figure in their life, and if there was, usually he was abusive. Or there were multiple father figures, not because they were good, but because the mother kept remarrying and having new boyfriends in. We find parents are abusive of their children. We find parents use their children. Uh, and, and, and it's the parents that are to really give an example to every child of what God is like. And so, as we evangelize, as we share the good news, we realize that so much of it is just not accepted. Carol had one guy tell her recently, oh, you know, the Bible is for your generation. Suddenly, I felt really old, but the Bible is for your generation, not for mine. It doesn't mean anything to us. Really? The good news doesn't mean anything. Jesus told us, peace I leave to you, my peace I give to you. I do not give it to you as the world does. Do not let your hearts be distressed or lacking in courage. The message of the gospel is clear. We need a Savior. The reality around us tells us we need a Savior. And we have a Savior in Christ. We've been given a gift. That gift is Savior, Christ, Lord. And when we receive that gift, our sins are forgiven, and we stand in righteousness. 
And when you really grasp hold of that, then nothing in life really else matters. That was said poorly. (laughs) Nothing in this life will matter once we realize that eternity has been taken care of. And so when we get down to it, the gospel, why is it that such marginal people were given such a wonderful message? Why were they allowed to participate in such momentous events? Well, I guess it comes down to the question of why we, as marginalized people, participate in such magnificent events such as salvation. So it really comes down to one more question. And that is, have you participated in such a magnificent event as your own salvation? Have you seen that the gift has been given because you need that gift? You cannot, Matthew 5.21 says, you have to be perfect as your Father is perfect in heaven. You cannot be perfect. Everybody would say, nobody's perfect, and that's true. And yet perfection is the standard that God is going to judge us by. And so we need a Savior because we are not perfect. Have you received that gift of eternal life? Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? If not, I, I I would encourage you to please talk to me afterwards or talk to Doug, or talk to Ray, or somebody before you leave. Don't leave without knowing for sure that you have seen the Savior, and that you are now reconciled with God, not only for now, but for all eternity. And once you have that straight, then yeah, there's pain in all of our lives, there's issues that we face, there's fights and arguments and whatever, but the big issue has been taken care of. And eternal life is set. And that's the message that we share. That's the good news. And I'll tell you this, when you trust in Christ as your Savior, you know what you'll experience? is joy. <clears throat> joy in this life. And even in the midst of all of the pain and all of the suffering, there's joy knowing Jesus. Because your relationship with him has been reconciled for all of eternity. What a great thing that we have. What a great message we have. What an awesome truth that we share in together. Today we're going to spend the last few moments uh, in receiving the uh, communion. Here at Higher Ground, or Common Ground, we... uh, we, we believe in an open communion. That means you don't have to be a member of this church to participate. Well, you do want to take a few moments, and we'll do that in a minute, to check your heart. You see, even if you have trusted Christ as your Savior and you have, are walking with Him, there's still issues in our heart. Maybe there's, you know, somebody cut you off and you're angry at whoever uh, as you were driving here. Maybe you're struggling with some other issue in your life. Well, this is a time where you can confess those little sins and get completely uh, right with your Savior once again. Then we will open up the the communion and you'll be able to come and participate. Uh, For those of you who are new, uh, we just let people come as they feel 
lead. Take part of the bread, take part of the cup, and then participate together. If you are um, here with your spouse, take it with them. If you are here with a friend, uh, pray with them and take it together. If you want, you can do it by yourself. Just uh, make sure that your heart is right with God. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, then I would encourage you not to participate today. Because this is, it doesn't require that you become a member of this church, but it does, it is something for those who have trusted Christ as their Savior. And uh, once we, when, when we participate in this, we are, we are reminding ourselves of what Christ has done for us. And if that isn't true in your life, then I encourage you to just wait. Let's talk about it afterwards, and uh, you can participate next week, next month. So let's. Uh, where's Matt? Yeah, there he is. Uh, let me uh, clo- close the sermon in prayer, and then we'll have to start communion. Father, I thank you for the message that you've given. Thank you for the sign that was given. Thank you that we know exactly who's Savior. Christ and Lord is because of these shepherds. Thank you for the goodness of your grace. Thank you for the joy that's given to us. We pray that we would seek always to evangelize, to share, to tell the story of what great things you have done for us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.